Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Before I get into this particular episode, I want to thank First of all, I want to thank the people who have been listening to the show. Um a couple of weeks ago the the total number of downloads hit a new milestone and topped 20,000 downloads. And as I said in, in one of my early episodes, I think I mentioned it when, when I hit about the 1,000 mark, I think, the, just how shocked I was. Because I remember putting up the first episode and watching and waiting for the first download. And then, you know, like a few hours later, I had 10 downloads and I'm like, this is amazing. And, you know, I looked at it the other day and it was, it was over 21,000, which is a lot to me. And I'm not trying to make this into some sort of mass entertainment show. That's not what it's about. If it's entertaining and if people want to listen, that's that for that reason, that's fine. You know, for some people, it may just be mental chewing gum. And that's okay. Um, but I, but I am interested in living up to my original goals for the podcast, which I state in the early episodes. And let, let me remind anybody who's come along to the podcast and is jumping around from episode to episode. There may be, depending upon how your podcast service, be it iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or whatever, a lot of them show the mo- the most recent episode first. So a lot of people may be listening to them in reverse order. And I would just suggest that if you're going to binge listen or try to catch up, I would suggest that you go back to the beginning and just, you know, go through them. You'll You'll have a much better understanding of what I'm trying to do here. And let me just restate that very quickly. When I started this thing, I realized that in, in, in particular, my video lessons that I've done for mandolin and banjo, I realized that the time was just too short. I, I just couldn't sit there and just carry on, you know, for a half an hour about something that I felt was important that I wanted to say to the student, but you know, the, the director and the cameraman, they're all looking at their watches and, you know, they got their stopwatches out and they're trying to keep this thing down to 20 minutes. And so I just felt constricted by that. And my initial attempt to rectify this situation was to create my blog. And I had a website, I still do, bradleylayer.com. And at the very top, it says blog. You click on that and there are a bunch of articles. So I would just write things to sort of expand on what I said in a video. This podcast is just an attempt to say those things without the time constraints of video. And, and I stated this in one of the early episodes that, you know, there are just some things that I may consider highly valuable or illustrative of certain points or aspects to being a musician or playing bluegrass that you just can't sell. 
you know, some things it's hard to put a price on. And I don't want to be seen as completely 100% mercenary in my efforts. So I thought, I'll just do the podcast and I'll just tell you all this stuff that I have seen, that I have learned, learned the hard way, learned the easy way, witnessed, uh, discovered, just all this stuff. And I'm going to keep it bluegrass to the extent that I'm able to. Sometimes you have to look outside the world of bluegrass for the world of bluegrass to make any sense. But I'm not going to sit here and, you know, run down the sports scores and, you know, I'll drop in little things like, oh, yeah, summer's here, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm always trying to, number one, make this podcast about bluegrass, make it for people who actually play the music. It's not designed for fans. Of course, like a Venn diagram, all bluegrass musicians are also bluegrass fans. So there's a little bit of that, but I'm not trying to turn it into a fanzine that, you know, keeps you up to date with the festival scene and who's playing where and which band members are switching and who had a baby and all that kind of stuff. That stuff already exists. Uh, go to, um, bluegrass now or read bluegrass unlimited you'll stay on top of that this just isn't the vehicle for that and it wasn't my original purpose my purpose is to be able to expand freely without somebody looking at their watch going is he better hurry up and tell you some of the stuff that i've run across over the years so that's number the number one thing I want it to be about bluegrass. And number two, I want it to be for people who play bluegrass or people who might want to. Somebody that's interested in learning to play. That's what this is all about. And, you know, sometimes it's a struggle to think of what am I going to say? You know, I've, I'm sure you've thought this. <laughs> I've heard it myself. Yeah, he's he's completely full of it. Um, and I am full of it, but some of it is valuable and interesting. So that's what I'm doing here is just laying it on you. And as I have said many times, I don't charge you for it. You know, there's no subscription fee to listening to me ramble about bluegrass on the other side of the coin. Nothing in life is free. There is no free lunch. So, um, if you want to support the show, go to grasstalkradio.com and on every single page of the show notes and the main page, there's a, there's a supporter pack there. And I just put some odds and ends in there so that there would be some sort of a download because I can't add a product to my store quote unquote store without there being some sort of file. You have to have a file that you download. So I put a bunch of little odds and ends in there. In fact, it, it includes a free quote unquote free copy of, uh, the jam session survival book, which are the chords to the 100 most commonly paid, uh, played bluegrass tunes. It's just a cheat sheet set for bluegrass jammers. 
that's in there. I often see people come along and buy that thing. It's five bucks. People come along and buy it. And then over, if you were to go to the grass talk radio supporter pack and you could get it for a, a dollar over there or whatever, I, I think I forgot now what, what I set the minimum at. Maybe the minimum is $5. I don't remember. But the, the cool thing about that, why I did the supporter pack that way is that you can set the dollar amount to any amount you, you would like. You can make it five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. You can make it a hundred grand if you have it to uh, spare. So that's why that thing exists. If you want to support the show and I hope you will, that's a great way to do it. Or the second way is to go over and browse around through the videos and the eBooks and select something that you think would be useful to you or to, you know, somebody that, you know, and just make a purchase that that is a great way to support the show too, because this is all one thing, bradleylaird.com, the contents of my refrigerator and grass talk radio. It's all the same. It's all the same kitty. So just want to make sure you understand that. So now here, let's get to this, uh, week's episode. I started a series back a few weeks ago, about a month ago. The first one was called, let me see that banjo. And then I did, let me see that bass. And I said, I was going to do some other instruments as we move forward. And so this week we're going to take a look at the mandolin or as I always call it, the mandolin. There was, was a discussion on mandolin cafe recently about, um, the word picker is, is do you, do you consider yourself a picker or do you consider yourself a player? And it, it's like all conversations on forums, it starts taking twists and turns and getting off down little highways and byways. And pretty soon they were talking about how people pronounce the word mandolin. And, you know, when I'm being very careful, you know, I can flip the switch and say mandolin, but I, I tend to use the colloquial Georgia thing and call it a mandolin. And I would say that, you know, to certain people, I'm a, I'm a mandolin picker and to other people, I'm a mandolin player. Anyways, this episode is called, let me see that mandolin. Now, when a student comes in, I've described it. If you've heard those other two episodes, the mistake that I have personally made as a teacher a few times of not really taking a close look at their instrument until a few weeks and a few lessons had gone by. And I'm wondering why they're struggling. And it dawns on me that I haven't even tried their instrument. And I would sheepishly take the instrument in my hands and try to form a couple of chords and immediately go, Oh man, I'm sorry. I should have looked at this thing before. Now this, your action on this thing is really, really high. No wonder you're having trouble here. Let me explain and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I would do it at the first lesson, but basically I just, this isn't to describe this episode is not going to attempt to teach you how to set up your mandolin. And by the way, most of what I'm saying here also applies to the banjo and to the guitar. 
but I'm going to talk mandolin. And the reason I say that is they're all fretted instruments and they share a lot of characteristics. They all have bridges. They all have frets. They all have mostly have truss rods. They all have a nut. They all have tuners. So I may say something here that applies to your banjo or your dobro even. Okay. So student walks in and I'm going to just take a quick peek at their mandolin and see what's going on with it. Make sure it's set up good enough to play. We're not going to worry about the fine details. We're not going to try to tweak the tone or the sound. All I want to know is, is it, can this instrument be played without torturing the student? So I put my mandolin in, in, in the case and I pick up their mandolin. I'm, to make this easier, I brought a mandolin out here. So I'm going to reach over here and get it. It's definitely not in tune. This is actually a little, um, I call it a mandolita. A, a lot of people call them a mandolinetto. But I, I had a student one time <clears throat> who spoke six languages. She was from Colombia, but she also spoke, uh, spoke Greek, Italian. I forget all the, the languages. One time I pulled out a record. I had found a record at Goodwill and it was, there was a picture on the front of the record of all these guys playing these looked like mandolin type instruments, but they weren't. It was like 10 strings and some had eight and all kind of different sizes. And all of the text on the record was written in Greek. And I had her read me that because I wanted to know what it said. I showed her that record out, but she was such a, language expert that as I was building this little mandolin and it's a mandolin at the time, I actually thought that I invented it. I thought, okay, you've got the mandolin and then you get bigger. You have the mandola, then you have the mando cello, then you have the mando bass, just like the violin family, violin, viola, cello, bass. And I thought, what would happen if you went the other way? I didn't realize at the time that it had already been done. I just, it was, you know, in the pre-internet days and I had just never seen it. I never heard anybody mention it ever that there could be a smaller scale version of the mandolin. So I set up, I measured my mandocello and mandola and mandolin and bass. And I made this table of all these sizes. I measured the body thickness, the body width, the scale length, all these different things and did some calculations and just sort of, you know, calculated what would be the theoretical size that I would need in order to go up a fifth or go up the same as you go from mandola up to mandolin where you've got a low C and you're going up to a low G. This little instrument would have a low D note. And would go, uh, let me think, D, um, it would go D, A, E, B, a very, very high B. So that was my goal, and I, I built this thing. That's what I'm holding in my hand right now. But I asked her what to call it, and she said, I said, what would, what would you call a small mandolin? And she said, mandolita? 
So that's what I called it, and that's what the label says. Anyway, this is the little mandolita. There is a video of this instrument in construction on my YouTube channel. If I can find that thing, it's it's been up there a long, long time. If I can find it, I'll put a, a link to that video on the show notes page. Anyway, I'll take their mandolin in my hand, and I'm just going to kind of look at it. The first thing I'm going to do is, you know, play a couple of chords on it, just pressing the strings down and see how hard they are to push down. That's really the number one thing I want to do. Um, because if your strings are too high, you're going to have a hard time playing. Your fingertips are going to get sore. So that's the first thing I want to look at. And let's assume I find that the nut is too high. I want to show that student how I know that is true. And one of the ways I'll do it is hand them their instrument and say, okay, make that little C chord on your instrument. Squeeze it down a few times. Okay, now here, take my mandolin and play that same chord. Instantly, they know what you're talking about because mine is going to be set up where it's very comfortable to play and they see the difference, feel the difference immediately. Then I take that mandolin back. I don't want them sitting there holding my mandolin and, and being enthralled with looking it over and examining it while I'm trying to show them what I'm doing. So it's better to just let them try it and then put it back in the case so that they'll continue to watch you. And even if you're not a teacher, if you play the mandolin, you're probably from time to time going to run across other beginners. I was at a festival just a few weeks ago, and this kid came up, had a, had a really crummy little junky beginner mandolin, had it tuned pretty good, and he was over there just strumming away on that thing and had no clue what he was doing. You're going to run into people like that, even if you're not being paid as a teacher, and you're going to want to advise them and help them. And I think this episode will help you hone down into the important things, you know, what color their instrument is and whether or not it has a pickup screwed on the face of it is not really important. And even though you may want to tell the kid, like, oh, you need to, you get what I'm saying. You're not there to belittle them. You're there to help them. So back to the lesson where my student is there. I'm going to first of all look at the nut. And if you need a little information about how to check your own instrument to see if that action feels good, I've got two YouTube videos that I've done. One was in particular for mandolin, and the other was mandolin and other instruments. And I will put links on the show notes page to both those videos that will explain this. I'm not going to try to go through it here, but it's, it is a fact that most instruments ship from the factory with the, the string action at the nut too high. That's how they leave the factory because the last thing they want is the instrument to be rattling and buzzing in the store. 
and the instrument may ride in a container ship from China and come in at uh, wherever they bring them in, Long Beach, California, and be unloaded and be shipped and sit in a warehouse and end up maybe at elderly instruments, and then it goes through UPS's shipping channels and finally ends up in your lap. And the instrument may freak out a little bit and, you know, due to the change of environment. So it's safer for a manufacturer to leave the nut too high. As I said in, in, I think it was the banjo episode, you can always go down, but it's not as easy to come up because to raise the strings at the nut, you've got to either make a new nut or shim the nut from the bottom and thereby raising it. Lowering it is as simple as, you know, taking some little nut files and, you know, deepening the slots a little bit. So they're all high. And some people just don't realize that, you know, they would naturally think, well, that, you know, the factory built it this way. That's the way it should be played. But most of the time they're too high. And if you, if you, Identify that in your instrument or someone else's. See about getting it lowered to a good, comfortable location. Now, in doing so, when you you can lower the string in, it's quite obvious, in two places, either at the nut or at the bridge. But you also have to consider everything in between the entire fingerboard, fretboard, and frets. Because if there are high frets and humps and curves and bows and twist, then you may have it perfect at the nut. You may lower the strings at the nut and introduce some new problems because your string is now lower. Same goes if you just lower the bridge. You may suddenly have problems, certain notes not fretting out cleanly, uh, fret noise, things like that based upon issues with the fingerboard. So the second thing I'm going to look at is down the fretboard fingerboard. These days, everybody calls it the fretboard, probably because of fretboard journal. Everybody, you know, real sticklers for terminology will say that it's a fretboard because it has frets and that a fingerboard does not have frets. Uh, to me, you know, you put your fingers on both of them. So I don't really care which you call it. But I would sight down from the nut toward the bridge and just, just have a general look at it. Also sighting it from the side, getting a, a general feel for how high the action is. Uh, the, the typical thing will be too high at the nut and too low at the, at the bridge. A lot of times people need to bring up the action a little bit, especially on the base side of a mandolin for good chops because you're putting a lot of energy into that mandolin when you're doing chops and you're striking primarily on the, the two bass strings, the G and the D that's where the bulk of that sound comes from. And those strings need some clearance. So they need that string needs to be able to vibrate in an arc and not bash against the frets. So it's, you know, for bluegrass purposes, I like to have the nut as low as I can go and have good, clean, clear notes. And then I like to then manipulate the bridge so that 
I can play with some degree of force without making a lot of racket. Okay, so basically I'm looking at the strings. I'm looking at the action. Another thing that I'm going to do is take a look at the actual condition of the strings. Are they green and corroded and rusty? Do they need changing? I'll make a mental note of that. I'm going to tell them that, yeah, these strings are pretty old. This thing will sound a lot better if we put some new strings on it. Um, maybe next week at the lesson, you know, get yourself a set of mandolin strings, and I will talk to them about what, what to buy. Or maybe I just have a set laying around, and I will show them how to change the strings. I'll do one, and then I'll maybe do another, and then I'll hand it to them and let them do the next one. If they have any trouble, I'll take it back and do the next one. And then it would just swap back and forth and work our way through all of them, talking about how to do it and why it's best to do it that way and that kind of stuff. That is far better than to say, well, leave that thing with me and I'll change the strings for you. And, you know, they come back next week and you hand it to them. A lot of people are like that at music stores. They'll walk into a music store and they'll, they'll, want to just hand it to them and come back in a week and get it. And they don't learn anything that way. And I will tell you, there are some luthiers that like it that way, that they don't want you to know how to do it there. I think they're in a minority, but they do exist because it's, it's maybe sort of a territorial thing or, or they're a time thing. Maybe they just don't have time, you know, look, look lady, you're paying me to change these strings. You're not paying me to teach you how to take my job. You know, there's probably a little bit of that in out there in the real world. So just understand that when you go to a luthier or you go to a, you know, a setup guy at a music store or something, don't expect free lessons in, you know, their, um, vocation. That's expecting too much. It's okay to ask questions, but if you detect that, Look, they don't really have time to monkey with you and to teach you every little thing about a mandolin. Do your own studying. You know, buy some books, read some books. Get, um, well, I'll put some links on the show notes page to some resources if you want to learn to do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask questions. And some people, to their detriment financially, will, you know, spend two hours talking to you about your mandolin when they ought to be back there in the back working. I think I'm guilty of that sometimes when I go to piano tunings. Instead of tuning and, and getting on with things, I'll sit there and discuss their piano and just talk and try to explain things and waste a lot of time. Because a lot of it, unfortunately, goes in one ear and out the other. But I do suggest to you, as a player that you need to know how to maintain your instrument. You do not need to necessarily know how to repair it. You do not necessarily have to do the setup, but you certainly have to be able to maintain the strings, be able to replace your own strings. So I'm going to look at the strings on that student's mandolin. And one of the things that I encounter quite a bit are just tangled, mangled messes in the way the strings have been put on at the tuner uh, it's pretty common to run across strings that have been crossed you know it's a, a string not going to the correct tuner uh I've, I've seen that a few times you'll see strings that are wound backwards you've got some of them you know winding clockwise around the 
the post and you know here's one going the other way you know just because they accidentally they put the string through the hole and they turned it the wrong way and it tightened up and it tuned and they went on about their business so i'm going to just look at that i'm not going to start pointing fingers and say hey did you put this string on here <laughs> Boy, you sure are a moron you don't do it th you know don't talk to them that way just look at it and take note of it and when that time comes to teach them or show them how to change a set of strings as that string's coming off you could just casually say yeah this one here is put on backwards they should wind in this direction so we'll fix that so um okay so i'm going to look at the attachment up there do they have long dangling string ends hanging out uh, are there a lot of little that little last quarter inch sticking out from the tuner are they poking up where they'll jab the guitar player in the back of his arm while you're playing um, i'm going to then test play each string from open all the way up at least to the 12th fret probably that's as far as i'm going to go maybe just the 10th because generally at lessons we're dealing with beginners and intermediates and we're not um up in that chris thiele territory uh, territory so i just want to make sure that you know everything's working out good up at least to the 12th fret i'm listening for buzzes i'm listening for a note that doesn't change if you put your finger on the fourth fret and play a note and then move up to the fifth fret and play and you get the same sound you got either high or low frets going on so you're just looking for potential problems sometimes i just make mental notes of them and i don't go into deep discussion about you know what's going on i'll just say ah oh, you, you got a little buzz here and move on because if you point out everything that's wrong with that instrument and explain everything well, first of all, that's going to eat up an hour. Their eyes are going to glaze over. They're not going to understand what you're talking about. And they're going to go away feeling like, possibly, that you think their mandolin is pretty much a piece of junk. And I don't think that's, that is never the impression I'm trying to give to someone. You know, maybe the mandolin was a gift. Maybe they're, they're so green that they just don't know what to buy. And so they buy this thing and they bring it in. It's an MSO, a mandolin shaped object. Well, that's their mandolin. So, you know, don't be too hard on them about it. And don't say, here, try mine. You want to see what a real mandolin is like? Here, play this thing. You do that, they're probably going to pretty quickly find a different teacher. <laughs> you know, somebody who isn't so mean and nasty. And, um, judgmental so you know remember back when you started and you had your first mandolin you know uh, just take it easy on them it isn't their fault ignorance can always be cured ignorance see people people misunderstand the word ignorance actually i should use the word nescience nescience is what they really have they are nescient and that is they simply don't know and these days, people use the word ignorant. 
for that. Oh, he, well, he's just ignorant. He doesn't know. But ignorant it really isn't the same as nescience. Nescience is that little kid that has never, um, you know, picked up a scorpion, doesn't know what a scorpion is, and picks it up and holds it and it stings him. That kid is nescient. Um, but today we've dropped that word and we just use ignorant for that. But ignorant really has its own meaning, and that means uh, to ignore, to to know, but refuse to um, go along with what that knowledge <laughs> instructs you about. In other words, I know. I know that um, snake will bite. I know he'll bite me, but I pick it up anyway. That is true ignorance. You're ignoring the fact that this, you know, that you have the knowledge. You're just not using it. So, anyway, enough about that. So they're nescient. So you can't blame the person. Just try to help them out and not, you know, uh, be too judgmental of their instrument because. It's pretty rare that a beginner walks in with a really fine instrument and really set up well. And if they did, they wouldn't appreciate it. So, enough about strings. I'm going to go down to the bridge, and I'm going to look at the, the bridge. And yes, probably the bridge is in the wrong place because it's, it's not glued down, and it can be moved around. I'm not necessarily going to correct that at the first lesson. I may point it out that you know test the harmonic at the 12th fret and then play the 12th fret note and that'll instantly tell you what's going on with bridge placement although i will tell you that testing doesn't work with really old crummy crappy strings you will have strings that will not fret out true to pitch if they're old and stretched beyond their limit and should be replaced. So if you're going to play an old set of strings, if you've got old strings on and you're going to keep them on for a while, it's okay to go ahead and move the bridge as necessary to make the instrument play in tune. But when you put a new set of strings on it, you may have to move it back. That's all I'm saying. So if you're going to monkey around adjusting the intonation, that is moving the bridge forward and back to make the fretboard play in tune notes. If you're going to do that, put a new set of strings on first and, uh, you know, do your action adjustments first. My order is always action adjustments at the nut first, bridge up and down second truss rod if needed then once i've got those then i'll work on the intonation by moving the bridge if necessary sometimes once you make those corrections you find that it really didn't need moving after all and i will say this briefly about moving the bridge to set intonation two things what you, the first concept is that because the individual strings are not individually adjustable like they are, say, on, a, on an electric guitar, because they're not individually adjust, adjustable, you are striving for a, a happy medium, a happy, a happy average. You may get your first string perfect 
and your second string perfect and your third string is not perfect. It's the nature of the beast. So what you're trying to do is you may have one string, a hair sharp and one, a hair flat and another one, a hair sharp and another one, a hair flat on average. They're as close as you can get them. In other words, you don't want to favor one string and harm another string. Sorry, that's the way it is. Sometimes you can alter the string gauges and have some effect on that. Anyway, just remember that the, the point isn't absolute perfection. It never is. In music and in practically anything in life, we're not striving for perfection. Well, no, actually, we are striving for perfection but we know we'll never achieve it. We will never achieve absolute perfection. It's sort of like, you know, how small can you cut a pizza? You know, you keep cutting the pizza in half and then you cut that half in half and that half in half. How small can you go? Well, eventually you're going to get down to molecules, atoms, and you can even cut those in half and you can cut those in half and you can just keep on going. It's the same sort of infinite progression in, you know, People will, I've had students say, how long will it take before I'm going to be good on this thing? Uh, and the truth is you'll never be good on that thing because as soon as you're good on it, you're going to want to be better. Same is true for things like instrument adjustments, strive for perfection, but no, you're, there is no such thing. Okay. I'm then going to look at the tailpiece. It's so common with the typical um, stamped tailpiece with the slide on cover, which is like nearly impossible to get on and off when you first get them. Almost always, if you strum those strings between the bridge and the tailpiece, you will hear just clanging and rattling and, you know, ringing on. And it's usually because those strings down there need a little bit of help a little bit of muting and this what i'm doing is muted the way i like them where they they make a little bit of sound but they don't last very long they die pretty quickly and that is i'll insert a little piece of suede a little piece about three-eighths of an inch wide a little strip of suede and when I do the string change, I'll insert it under the strings so that the last thing the string contacts as it leaves the tailpiece and heads up towards the bridge is it rests upon that little leather pad. That's the way I like to do them because I like to leave the strings ringing a little bit in that section. I just don't want them lasting very long. And then sometimes you'll have the cover itself actually metal pressing on the top of the string and i like to bend that the the fancy curly decorative end of that cover slightly up and away from the strings but this brings up a point the last thing i would ever do is somebody hands me their instrument and without discussion or without permission Let's say I were to yank that cover off. Well, I can't even get this one off. It's on there so tight. Let's say the student is just sitting there and I, I'm looking at the tailpiece and I just pull the tailpiece cover off. 
I reach over to my bench and I get a pair of pliers and I bend that thing and then I put it back on. Uh, that is not allowed, folks. You know, you don't alter other people's instrument. I won't even move a bridge. I've seen people do it. I saw a guy borrow my bass fiddle one time and he's playing, he's playing it for a pretty good while. And they were taking a little break and I saw him over there and he had his fingers on the bridge and he was yanking on the bridge, like straightening the bridge. And I went over there and like, what are you doing? Hey, leave that alone. I'll, I'll do my own adjusting on my own instrument. If you don't mind, which, um, kind of brings up a, a story that I've heard. I probably read it in a book or something about Bill Monroe. Before I tell the story, let me, let me just, uh, talk a little bit more about when you handle someone else's instrument. There's a, there's a concept in law called a bailment. That is, let's say somebody leaves, you come home from work one day and you find a puppy on a leash and is tied to your front doorknob. And this is not your puppy. Well, guess what? A bailment has been created. And that is, you now have possession of the puppy. And you now have responsibility for the puppy, whether you like it or not. You can't just take the puppy down the road and let him out on the side of the road. You now have a responsibility because you're in possession of it to take reasonable care of the puppy. It's kind of bizarre. Well, this is how it is with instruments, too. If I hand you my Martin HD 28 guitar and you, I say, here, you can play mine. You know, maybe some guitar player showed up at a jam, didn't have his guitar. I say, Hey, you can play mine. Well, first of all, the responsibility is on me. If anything happens to that thing, I truly have myself to blame, but there is that bailment concept too, that when you accept someone else's instrument into your hands, you have to take reasonable care of it. And unfortunately, I've learned the hard way that some people don't. Speaking of that exact guitar, it's a 1986 Martin HD 28. A friend of mine, I was going to a bluegrass festival just to do some jamming, and a friend of mine who played some electric guitar and stuff, I said, hey, you want to go with me? He said, I don't, I don't have an acoustic guitar. I said, you can play mine. So I threw my Martin in the car and we went up there and we jammed for about five hours, came back home Sunday morning. I opened the case and I looked at the guitar and man, he had just ragged out the top of my guitar. He might not have even known he was doing it. I'm talking about pick digs in the top, a couple of them. And apparently some people like to stick their fingertips down on the top of the guitar while they pick. And apparently, you know, his fingernails, he hooked them kind of right on the edge of the, of the uh, pick guard. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't put his fingers on the pick guard. He put them right along the edge and maybe he was sitting there nervous or I don't know what he did, but he dug a groove 
about an inch long all along the edge of that pick guard. It was just like you'd taken your pocket knife out and just back and forth. Or like a little kid that doesn't want to be in Sunday school and he's got his pocket knife or any sharp object and he's just scratching on the on the pew, you know. This is what the guy did to my guitar. Uh, you know, is that guy, uh, I forget his name, that, that radio show, Handle on the Law. If I called up that show, he'd probably say, you know, you've got a case. I don't know if I really would have a case. It is true that that person I loaned the guitar to had a responsibility to take reasonable care of it and didn't. But you know what? Really, it's my own fault. You know, it's my own fault. So every time I look at that thing, I go, well, be more careful who you hand your instrument to. Anyway, when the student hands me their instrument, I'm not going to just start making modifications and adjustments and their their eyes are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger thinking, what is he doing? What is he doing? Because they don't know what you're doing. So don't make unauthorized or unexplained alterations, even as a favor to somebody, even if it needs it. I think that the only thing that you're allowed to do without discussion when someone hands you their instrument and lets you try it out, and this would be true if you're trying out instruments at a music store. I think it's fair to say that you can adjust the tuning, that you can fine-tune it. That's fair. And that you can play the instrument without damaging the finish. Those things you're allowed to do. What you're not, I don't think you should start making setup adjustments to it, getting out your tools and start tweaking the truss rod, not without discussion and not without permission, because it's not your instrument. So maintain some reasonable care over the instrument. All right. Now, let me tell you the story about Bill Monroe. So Bill Monroe, I think this happened backstage at the Grand Ole Opry, and they shared dressing rooms. So Bill might arrive there and go in the dressing room and set his mandolin case up on the counter and be hobnobbing and you know, talking to other people, maybe be down in Roy Acuff's dressing room or something. They just left his instrument there with a lot of other people's instruments. So the story goes, Bill walks into the dressing room and there's some guy there has got Bill's mandolin out of the case and is sitting there playing it. And Bill sees him and watches him play it. And he says, here, uh, let me show you something. And the guy hands him the mandolin as if Bill's going to show him a, a new little lick or, or something. Maybe, you know, he says, let me show you something. The guy hands him the mandolin. Bill turns around, puts it in a case, shuts the case, walks out. Doesn't say a word. He showed him, let me show you something. What he showed him was, that's my mandolin. Keep your hands off. You know, it's different when, when somebody says, Hey, uh, you know, do you mind if I try your instrument? You know, even that's a little pushy. Sometimes there are certain situations you shouldn't even do that. But if they say yes, you know, try it a little bit, but I've had people say, Hey, you mind if I, you mind if I, uh, try out your mandolin? 
And then 10 minutes later, I look around and the dude is gone. He has moved over to the next campsite and he's deep in a, in a heavy jam with my mandolin, you know, then I got to go over there and kind of wait till proper moments. Oh, Hey dude, I, I need that thing back. You know, <laughs> there are times though, that I, I don't haven't cared about it at that festival. I went to recently, a, a guy came up to me very politely and we were picking at a, at a campsite, um, maybe 40 yards away from where my campsite was set up. And my bass fiddle was sitting over there laying on top of its bag, just laying on its side. And there was nobody over there. And this guy comes up to me and says, do you know whose, whose base that is over there? I said, yeah, that's mine. He said, uh, that's a really nice bass. Uh, do you mind if I play it? Well, the jam I was in already had a bass player and he said, you know, there's some guys over here wanting to play and, you know, and I was like, uh, well, he goes, I'm down here playing guitar this weekend with such and such band. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you can play it. So he went over there and he got it and he played for about an hour with these other people. And then he gave it back to me. That was, that was totally cool. And the guy didn't make any adjustments to it. He, he wasn't over there with a plane working on the, the fingerboard, you know, and he didn't, uh, he didn't come up to me afterwards and go, you know, that's a pretty nice base, except you know what you need to do. He didn't do that, which was very nice. So I didn't mind that a bit. Anyway, sometimes you got to do like Bill Monroe and just say, Hey, let me show you something and just take it back and leave. Anyway, be careful with your instrument, but be really careful with other people's instruments, you know, and if you are trying out somebody's instrument, you know, with their permission, try it out and, uh, you know, pretty quickly give it back. It relieves you of a lot of responsibility and you won't make any enemies of like, God, is that guy ever going to give me that thing back? I did a thing one time. You know, just one of the stupid things. Everybody does stupid things. I did a stupid thing <laughs> more than once. But let me tell you this one time was playing this gig, two bands playing. Our band played and then their band played. And then we got up and played sort of together. Well, during one of the set breaks, their banjo player came off and I was there playing bass with another band. And the guy's got his banjo there and I'm just looking at it and talking to him about his banjo. And, uh, he was playing Scrug style. And as we're talking, he says, here, you want to try this thing out? I said, I don't have any picks, but, um, you know, yeah, let me, let me just, I'll just try a little claw hammer on it. And so we're sitting backstage and he hands me his banjo and I'm dinking around with it and he leaves. And I was sitting there thinking. And it was sounding pretty good, you know, with the claw hammer thing. And I wanted to go into that, that, uh, modal tuning and just play this one particular tune, which means you have to raise the B string up to a C. So I started tuning the B up to C and I wasn't even halfway from B to C and the string popped. I was like, Oh man, I just broke the guy's string. So I leaned down, I look in his case, I don't see any spares. I'm like, you talk about egg on your face. So when the guy comes back, I have to say, uh, 
Sorry, man. I broke your B string here. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, and that, that was the end of it. And he had, you know, string stash somewhere else, but you'll feel really bad if you, um, even break a string. So I don't even suggest that you retune to another alternate tuning or anything. Certainly don't do it. If you borrow my instrument, you know, cause you start, you know, you retune my mandolin so you can play get up John the way Bill Monroe played it. And it's going to take me an hour to get that thing back. Right. You know? <laughs> so anyway, just to handle other people's instruments carefully. And now let me, let me tell you about a couple of resources for you. If you go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode in the ever increasingly long list of episodes, go down to this episode and click that. It will take you to the show notes for this episode. And on there, I will put those, those videos about how to, how to set up your mandolin little basic introduction to it and how the action is adjusted. I'm also going to put a link to a book that I wrote called the mandolin handbook, and you may already have it. Or if you bought my mandolin learning system, it comes in that it also comes to that mandolin essentials package. It comes in all of the mandolin packages of that I sell because I think it's so important because when you buy an instrument, there is no owner's manual in the case. And as I said, I think in the, let me see that banjo episode, I took it upon myself to write the owner's manual for a mandolin and that's what it is. So I encourage you to take a look at that thing and, and uh, read the description. You can download, you know, a, the table of contents and some random pages out of it. And if it's something that you think would be useful to you, then it would turn you from a, a neophyte nescient mandolin owner into a more knowledgeable mandolin owner, then more power to you. Please use the book. I didn't write it for myself. I wrote it for you guys. See, if I could write this stuff, that means I already know it. So I didn't write it for me. And I, one of the things about that book, I take great pride in the fact that I did all of the illustrations in it. And I, I think they turn out really well. Anyway, that's enough about the mandolin handbook. It's a PDF download and it's very reasonably priced. So if that will help you or a mandolin player that, you know, make use of it. And I want to say thanks to everybody for listening to the show. I have one last thing that I want to mention. I may have given the impression in that weird episode I did last week where I uh, just recorded the birds chirping and stuff for 15, 20 minutes. Um, and I think in that episode, I said, you know, maybe if you're, maybe you're spending too much time listening to podcasts, you know, <laughs> I said that. And sometimes I feel like, um, you know, my anti-marketing, uh, works that it actually works and drives people away. I don't want you to go away. I want you to keep listening and I want you to tell other people about the show. So I have made up a little quarter size flyer in an episode, not long ago, Picker's Paradise. I said that at the festival, I made up these little quarter size flyers and I kept them in my hip pocket and anybody I happened to run into that I thought might benefit from the show. I just gave it to them. I maybe handed out 10 or 12 of them 
the whole weekend. I didn't plaster the cars in the parking lot. Anyway, that little flyer, I'm going to put a link to that flyer on the show notes page for this episode. And it's for these little quarter size flyers. Do me a favor, download that PDF and print one copy of it and cut those four apart. And now you've got four little mini flyers about grass talk radio, the podcast, stick them in your instrument case. And you're going to find somebody who you think would enjoy this show as much as you do. Just give them the little flyer and I will really appreciate it. Y'all take care and I'll talk to you in the next episode.